selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. All right, so Matt, I realized after hunting season last year that I needed some new hunting camo. So went to the sporting goods store yesterday to to find me some some more hunting camo, but went in there and I, I didn't see it anywhere. (laughs) Huh? there you go yeah they can't all be winners shut up (laughs) good evening everybody and welcome to the graveyard thank you for joining us tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is graveyard tales (laughs) all right everybody here we are again matt how you doing tonight brother i'm doing pretty good good deal you gonna get blown away over there tonight it sure sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> like the big bad so, wolf is outside your door. If if you're if you're if you're watching the video and all of a sudden you see mine just go off, then it's like I'm I'm not gonna be in Kansas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it y'all got some wild wind up there tonight. So let's hope yeah. uh let's hope it doesn't knock out any um Wi Fi towers or anything like that, but uh, real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. We're proud members of the Podbelly Network, and we're proud to be associated with the shows in the Podbelly Network. So go check them out. Find you another show that you might enjoy, podbelly.com. Um, we also want to thank our sponsors for this episode, and it's Best Fiends, HelloFresh, and Fields. And we'll talk a little bit more about them shortly. While you're online... If you don't mind, give us a rate and review somewhere, wherever you listen to us. Give us a rate and review. You can uh, review us on most any app or platform that you listen to us on. Um, Apple helps the most on iTunes there. 
uh, give us a five-star rating and say something. Um, it'll help bring us up in the charts, and it'll help people find the graveyard easier. And mm-hmm. and they can, you know, when they're searching for shows that they want to listen to, we will pop up in that algorithm a little more. I'm not sure exactly why, but that's what it takes to get anywhere nowadays. Um, I've noticed we do have a lot of new listeners. So if you're new and this is your first episode, hello. Um, sorry about the bad joke in the beginning. That wasn't my best, but... <laughs> You know, they can't all be winners, and and I'll make it up to you at another time. All right, so let's talk about Best Fiends for a second, Matt. Now, one of my favorite things about Best Fiends is that if I get, like, if I get a chance to be alone, like bathroom, or if I'm sitting in a drive-through line that's slow or something like that, I'll pick it up and I'll start playing Best Fiends because in the drive-through line, you just kind of lose the outside world, you know, Mm -hmm. and you get lost in this game and you're able to forget about what you're doing. Like, I'm waiting again. Or if you're like sitting at the dentist office waiting for your chance to go in, well, to not think about what you're having about to have done. A hole drilled in your tooth. You can just pull up Best Fiends, get lost in the game, kill right. some slugs, and yeah. I mean that—that's my favorite part about Best Fiends. Yeah, and it's—it's it's beautiful. I mean the the bright colors, the the funny characters, the the cute little storylines. It really is. It's a pleasure to look at and play. And one of the coolest things to me is that it doesn't require internet data, Wi-Fi, or anything. You can play it anywhere. And inevitably, I will be somewhere where I've got absolutely no cell phone signal at all. Can't do anything on my phone. But I can always play Best Fiends. That, yeah, and with your job, that I'm sure that happens quite a bit out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in my truck. I'm waiting on something. I don't have a signal. I can't text anybody. I, you know, I can't scroll through any of my other apps that are that are Wi-Fi or, or data-based. But I can play Best Fiends, and it's a great way to just kind of take a mental break and you know enjoy some time to yourself. Yep. So if you want to be like Adam and, and myself and have that go-to game that just Get you away from everything for for a few minutes. Then you can go download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. That's right. If you want to play through the thousands of levels and never get bored with it because it's constantly changing, all you got to do is go download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or on Google Play. That's friends without the R best fiends but matt that's all i've got for the intro here this may be another long episode so tell us what are we talking about tonight brother well i've been working on my sean connery impression so that i can uh i can say Welcome to the rock, but it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say so, this, this isn't going to be that great, but this is awful. Yeah, <laughs> it's awful. But if you hadn't figured it out by now, 
Um, we're going to talk about Alcatraz. Yeah. And uh, we're going to go into some of the history, which is super cool. Um, but we're also going to talk about how haunted this joint is. Um, we've done plenty of haunted prisons, but Alcatraz saying saying that Alcatraz is is just a prison. Um, you know that 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 is an understatement. Uh-huh. I mean, it is it is unlike virtually any prison that we've ever discussed on this show. Oh, I know. Um, you know, how's some really famous uh inmates uh but they left behind some residue and it's uh it's still pretty active and i figured we'll find some you know oh the ghost of the this inmate you know you see him walking around you'll hear some footsteps and stuff and you do you hear all that but there's a lot more that goes on that i had never been aware of right yeah so Sit back. This is this is going to be a good one. I think uh, I think you're going to like this one. Yep. I know the the um, the research for me was really cool. Um, before we get into it, I had a shirt in high school that my mom got me. It said Alcatraz Psycho Ward Outpatient, and I wore that all the time. <laughs> and so when we started doing that, that's what I thought of. And I'm like, I wonder what happened to that shirt, but nowhere to be found. Anyway. Yeah. Um, as we always say, go check our sources. Um, you can find our sources at the bottom of the show notes and you can find where we found this information. And, you know, I got a lot of my information from Alcatraz's historical documents. So you can find links to those down in the show notes and uh, follow along or continue the research. Um, because, like I said, this does come straight from Alcatraz's historical documents. However, as I was telling Matt, as the mics were warming up, I had to call down and paraphrase <laughs> a lot of this history because I would have had a 24 pager of notes here that would have taken us four episodes just to do the history on Alcatraz. It's a, yeah, it's amazing a the amount of history it has. And uh, if if you saw the photo that I posted on our Instagram page, And I said, who knew history went so far back? This is what I was talking about. Um, As a history buff, it was amazing, but I couldn't do it all. So some of this is verbatim from their website. Some of this is paraphrased. And let's just get into it. Now, as Matt said, he called it The Rock. And The Rock became a synonym for Alcatraz Island in San Francisco Bay long before its penitentiary housed the most desperate federal prisoners in the United States for almost 30 years. So from 1934 to about 1963 is when it housed the federal prisoners. Now, on the island stood the first lighthouse on America's Pacific shores. And it was a light that has guided ships in and out of the bay for almost 125 years. Now, for nearly 75 years, the island served as a military prison for Army convicts from both the Western states and overseas possessions, which we'll get into more of that here in a little bit. And for 50 years, Alcatraz played a key role in the defense of San Francisco Harbor. Now, Alcatraz jutted out of the bay. Um, It was a barren, irregularly shaped rock that was devoid of flowing water as well as vegetation. 
And an American Army officer described it as being, quote, entirely without resources within itself. And the soil is scarcely perceptible, being rocky and precipitous on all sides. Its first survey, uh, the first surveyor wrote of it, quote, this island is chiefly composed of irregularly stratified sandstone covered with a thin coating of guano. (laughs) It's a rock covered in crap. It is. It's just, it's a big crappy rock. So no wonder they put a, a prison on it. But um, says the stone is full of seams in all directions, which render it unfit for any building purposes and probably difficult to quarry. He added, the island has no beach and but two or three points where small boats can land. Now, his survey showed that the island was 705 feet long and that its maximum width came to 580 feet. Now, its long axis lay in the northwest to southeast direction. And when viewed in profile, it had two peaks that reached elevations above sea level of 134.9 and 138.4 feet. Now, the guano probably gave cause for the name White Island that was occasionally applied to it. Um, And and it's about 22 acres of an island. So it's not big. It's not big at all. Yeah. As far as islands go, it's a it's kind of a small island. Now, way before any of that took place, um, Sergeant Jose Francisco Ortega, chief scout for Gaspar de Portola's expedition, may have actually seen Alcatraz Island when he stumbled upon the Golden Gate in 1769. Now, three years later, two Spanish gentlemen most certainly did, Captain Pedro Fages and Father Juan Crespi. They were exploring the area where Berkeley now stands, and they looked westward toward the Golden Gate and noted the principal islands within their view. Now, on August 12, 1775, Frigate Lieutenant Don Juan Manuel de Ayala set out in a small boat from his temporary anchorage at Tiburon uh, for nearby Angel Island, which he named Isla de los Angeles. Um, although he found good moorings there, he decided to inspect further before deciding on a harbor. Quote, I rather preferred to pass onward in search of another island, which I, which when I reached, it proved so arid and steep, there was not even a boat harbor there. I named the island De Los Alcatreses, um, Island of the Pelicans, because of their being so plentiful there. So... Yeah. It, covered in pelicans, that's where the guano came from. It was pelican yeah. crap. <laughs> you know when you uh, when you say these uh, Spanish words, uh-huh. you, you sound like the people on Jeopardy that are trying to sound really intelligent <laughs> when they they yeah. rattle. What is Guatemala? Well, <laughs> that's not the first time somebody's told me I have tried to sound intelligent. <laughs> Never have I been told I sound intelligent, but then I try. So, I'm I'm doing my best to pronounce the things that I sort of know how to pronounce where yeah. in most other shows I have no idea and so I'm just flying by the seat of my pants some of this Spanish I almost know how to pronounce it see now when whenever we go to a Mexican restaurant there are things that I do know how to pronounce there's things that I don't know how to pronounce so I get nervous because I don't want to sound like an idiot, mm-hmm. and and so I I just I just read it off, 
You know, even though I may know it's wrong, I'm like, okay, we're, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to screw this up just like <laughs> every other American will do. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, you but, wouldn't be the only one. So, but uh, Amanda knows how to say most all of them because when she was a teenager, she worked at a Mexican restaurant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she knows how to say it. And I'll, I'll routinely go, all right, what, what is this? I mean, truthfully, I love Mexican food. Oh, it's, yeah. As far as, you know, ethnic food um mexican food is is by far my favorite same and same i could eat i could eat mexican food tex-mex food every day yeah yeah i guess i like them both i mean i I like the spice and everything of a tex-mex but authentic mexican food i uh i dig it too and uh we we've got plenty of it around us yeah yep i mean my favorite thing about coming back to texas besides Ashley and Michael has to be the Mexican food everywhere. You know, just the, yeah. I mean, everywhere I go here, it, it's great Mexican food. I love it. Now, like I said, I, I'll paraphrase some of this here because um, it, it gets a little wordy, but many think that Ayala made it to Alcatraz, but the chart that we actually have from that time actually shows Yerba Buena Island labeled as Los Alcatraces. Um, so some scholars think the islands were mislabeled by someone who didn't know what they were doing, but others believe that the chart is actually correct, and they originally named Yerba Buena as Alcatraz, and then later the name was changed. Now, we may never know exactly which is true, but either way... On Ayala's chart that he made, the island that we now call Yerba Buena was Uh called Alcatraz. So whatever happened, something happened, and it got changed. And then Alcatraz went to the island we now know, and Yerba Buena was the name given to that island. Now, a first lieutenant, William Horace Warner, he was... um, from the Corps of Topographical Engineers, was the first to do a detailed survey of the island in May 1847. Now, his map was what was used for the planning of the area for probably the next 20 years or so. And at this point, uh, they were already looking at the island as a defensive point. So being where it's placed in the bay, they thought it would be a great defensive point. Now, two years from that time passed before the U.S. Congress appropriated funds for an examination of the Pacific Coast, quote, in reference to the defense of the same. Now, the survey of the area, um, they were hindered um, in their quest to survey this because there was a huge number of the naval seamen who were deserting the Navy to go look for gold in nearby gold mines. So these these uh, members of the Navy were like, you know what? I'm going to desert the Navy and go, <laughs> go pan for gold in these gold mines here and try to make a better living than I can in the Navy. Um, so that actually hindered a lot of um, their surveys of this area. So what they had to do is they had to sail to Hawaii to, quote, hire an adequate ship's crew from the king 
and then they returned in March of 1850 and began their survey. Now, that like, seems... Like Hawaii is just next door. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. That, it's quite a long uh, sail, especially back then. And I, I thought, you know, quote unquote, they just had to go to Hawaii during the winter. Yeah, that's right. You know, and <laughs> it, look, boss, it's going to take us all winter in Hawaii to find a crew. We won't be back till March when <laughs> things start warming up again. Yeah. Even even then, people hated the winter. Yeah, they wintered in Hawaii. <laughs> well, uh, when they got back, they surveyed the whole co- the whole coastline, and uh, but in that, like they got the mainland and everything else. But we'll only focus on the islands since that's what we're talking about. We won't go into everything that they surveyed. Now, in their report of the coastlines, they included the three major islands in San Francisco Bay. Yerba Buena, Angel Island, and Alcatraz. Now, almost as an afterthought, they provided for a temporary battery at Raccoon Point opposite Angel Island, which is today's Peninsula Point. Now, it in its final report, dated November 1st, 1850, the commission reiterated the above recommendations, saying, quote, The first consideration in connection with defense would be to prevent the passage of hostile vessels through the channel of entrance, the Golden Gate. And this would be difficult as the narrowest part of the entrance is about a mile wide and vessels might pass through with the speed of 10 or 12 knots if favored by a strong fair wind. Not unusual there. And the flood tide estimated at three knots. The difficulty might be obviated by having, in addition to a strong battery on each shore, at the narrowest part, a third battery on Alcatraz Island, which lies within the bay, and which, although about two miles from the other batteries, would, in cooperation with them and with a temporary battery on Point Jose at the south and another on Angel Island at the north, concentrate the fire of so many guns upon any vessels that might get past the front line of batteries that they would be destroyed or so disabled as to become harmless, end quote. So they were planning on full scale. We're putting stuff on every one of these islands. Yeah. And then we're just going to blast the hell out of any ship that comes in here. And and why not? It was a good idea. Um, and you, you had, you had an advantage because of the narrow inlet there. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, you come cruising in, you, you, you better have more ships than they have cannons. I right. Mean, right. Yeah. You know, Cause they're going to, they're going to take out a, a large number of them before one of them can squeeze through a, and make it all the way through the bay. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty cool. But if you're, if you're familiar with how San Francisco Bay is laid out, if you look at it, you're like, okay, this was this was obvious that this is what they needed to do. Right. Um, right. And did it effectively. Yep, exactly. So they drew up their plans and they got them approved and started the fortifications on the island. Now, a ramp or road at the wharf was to be built on the east side of the island, out of sight from the Golden Gate, and it was excavated there. So they wanted a, a road that couldn't be seen from the entrance, basically. So that's smart. 
Now, a guardhouse is placed at the upper end of the ramp, um, and it has four mountain howitzers and some other small pieces of armory on there. Now, a defensive barrack capable of accommodating comfortably 100 men in bunks is placed on the southern end of the island, having a good view of the southern battery. So they're planning 100 people on Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people. Yeah, for a 22-acre island. Right. Now, this battery is provided with a parapet on the top, and the windows of the second story are to be provided with iron bars, thus securing a height of about 33 feet. So they've built that on there already. So they've got a structure on there already that's a, a military structure with howitzers and everything like that. Now, let's jump ahead several years. Now, like every other post in the United States, Alcatraz had a guardhouse with accommodations in it for soldiers of its garrisons who had violated the Army's rules and regulations. So basically, a little brig for mm-hmm. any of the um, military people who went against regulations. Now, the standard facilities of the day usually consisted of a general prison room for compliant prisoners and a few individual cells for who remained in a rebellious mood. Now, Alcatraz had both, but they were in separate buildings. Alcatraz had the usual number of candidates for the guardhouse from its earliest days as a garrison post, but when the strength of the command greatly increased early in the Civil War, a corresponding increase occurred in the guardhouse population. So like it said, the increase in military prisoners increased during the Civil War, and the military bases then needed place to house these people more long term. So with the Civil War, you got more troops. You're naturally going to have more people disobeying orders and all that kind of stuff. So they just needed more room. And Alcatraz Island, more accident than design, was destined to become the Army's first long-term prison. Now, in the summer of 1861, the commander of the Department of the Pacific, Brigadier General Edwin B. Sumner, found an expedient solution to the problems of the growing numbers of military prisoners and of improving military security by ordering the transfer of prisoners in the Presidio Guardhouse to Alcatraz on August 27th. Says, surely no one that day envisioned that this was the first step in a 73-year history of military penology on the rock. Now, I know I'm eight years old, but penology is a funny word to me. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing. I'm glad you were because <laughs> I was like, wonder why he chose to use that word um, from from uh, his research. And now I know exactly why. Yep, that's exactly why I was reading through this. And I said, you know what? I'm leaving it exactly as they wrote it, because <laughs> penology makes me giggle inside. So hopefully the rest of y'all got a good penology giggle there, too. Now, this says, by the end of the month, the 13 local prisoners in the guardhouse had been joined by another 13 who had come across the bay from Presidio. Now, at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, the adjutant general wrote, quote, since August 27, 1861, Alcatraz Island in the harbor of San Francisco has been the point for collecting prisoners on the Pacific coast. 
So that's a interesting way to put it. But it, it was collecting the prisoners of the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So at that time, all of the East Coast military barracks and and everything like that. If you if you did something bad, you got shipped to Alcatraz to serve out your sentence there instead mm-hmm. of um, at at the base that you were from. Now, sometime between 1861 and 1863, a small frame building measuring 21 by 50 feet was constructed at the rear of the guardhouse on the south side of the covered way. It provided additional quarters for the influx of wartime, influx of wartime prisoners. So they're continuing to build on, you know, they, they're continuing to add rooms and buildings to house more and more inmates that keep showing up. And at this time, it's still all military prisoners. Yeah. We haven't we haven't moved past military prisoners. Now, exact figures on the number of prisoners during this period are impossible to to determine. It says no record, whatever, has been found concerning the number of civilians in confinement there. Now, the post return uh, the post return showed the average number of military prisoners to have been. 15 or so between 1861 and 1863 in 1864, the average number climbed to 24. And by the end of the war, it reached 49. So that's quite a big jump in military prisoners over the years. Now, the available records indicate that the turnover was constant, if not in great volume. So it wasn't the same 49 there all the time. But you'd have somebody that did a two-week stint in Alcatraz for their offenses. They'd go back, and then you'd get a couple more, and they'd pull a couple-week stint. You know, so it was a constant revolving thing of military prisoners. Mm-hmm. Now, in January 1862, the first prisoners from Army units in Southern California reached Alcatraz by ship, and a month later the Navy sent two of its officers and two sailors to Alcatraz for for refusing to take an oath of allegiance to the Union. It is not known if special accommodations were made for the officers, but both soon took the oath and were were released from arrest by early March. So they even housed some officers in there, not just the enlisted men. Now, even after the end of the the Civil War, Alcatraz was still used as a military prison, but the number of prisoners declined quite a bit. Then the number of prisoners started to increase in 1869, and those in charge of Alcatraz decided to add on to the prison to create more room for inmates. So it it dwindled a little bit, and then it spiked again. Yeah. Now, let's skip ahead to 1933. So we're going to take quite a big jump here and go to 1933. In 1933, the citizens of San Francisco were not happy about the uh, prison there because they were taking on more and more prisoners, and they ended up speaking out against it having a federal prison for gangsters on the island. So this is when they started taking not just military prisoners, but 
the more hardened criminals. Right. The, the, the people serving long sentences that were dangerous. And they they didn't like it. So the people of San Francisco, they actually spoke out and they had meetings and everything about it. They recounted that over the years, 17 military prisoners had successfully escaped by swimming or by stealing boats, and another six had gotten away by one ruse or another. So they're like, look, people are escaping from here. Military prisoners are escaping. So you're going to put these hardened criminals here? What if they escape? Right. They they weren't happy about that. Yeah, nobody is really signing up to have a prison in their backyard, even if it's separated by water. You can see it. It's right there. Right. So, you know, the idea of having some of the most dangerous criminals in the U.S. just living out on this little island right in the bay, it didn't make people too happy. No. It it wouldn't necessarily make me all that happy. (laughs) Right. And at this point, it's not maximum security yet. Right. It's just a prison. You know, it's minimum security for military people who most of the time they it was light issues that they were being charged with. So they, you know, it's not like they were going to try to escape because they were going to spend the rest of their life there. They knew in a week I'd get out. Yeah. I mean, these weren't career criminals. I mean, these weren't hardened individuals who would do virtually anything to to get their way especially to escape from prison right so i think at least at first their fears were justified yeah yep i agree now in october of 1933 they made the arrangements for taking over the military prison and turning it into the maximum security prison that we know today so guy named sanford bates the director of the bureau of prisons knew there would have to be changes made to the prison to make it a maximum security prison. So this is when they brought in Robert C. Bungie, an engineer, to look at what needed to be done and draw up the plans. Now, they then made the changes to the prison that we pretty much see today. They had stronger, toolproof steel put on the windows, And then they added metal and gas detectors and a bunch of other security, um, like the doors, double locking doors and things in the hallway. So they were they turned it into a maximum security prison with Bungie's plans. Yeah, they had those little those little white plastic things on the doorknobs. It made them hard to turn. Mm -hmm. They put the little plugs in the outlets. You know, they had the the things that. In the cabinet that you need yeah. a magnet to undo. Yeah, and that's right. You know, so it was. It, I mean, it was high security. You know, it was. It, it's a three great. year old couldn't couldn't get through. Right. <laughs> it was a step up from the sock that they used to put on the doorknob <laughs> that made it hard to turn. So <laughs> they put butter on it. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ball bearings in the floor, and you know, high security. Let's see them get away from this. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and then in the bay, they put sharks with lasers. lasers so let's get into talking about you know the treatment of prisoners in Alcatraz and and schedule and all this other stuff that they had once it became a maximum security prison and the prison that we are aware of today now 
like with a lot of things that we find, I found conflicting reports on the treatment, the schedule, who was there, yada, yada, yada. There's going to be conflicting reports about everything. Doesn't matter what you look up, you're going to find multiple different things. But this is what I saw most frequently, the most repeated. So this is what I'm going to go with. Now, let's quickly look at an inmate's daily routine. And I'll kind of blow through this quickly, but this will just kind of let you know how monotonous and boring a, a day in Alcatraz could be as long as things ran normally. We'll, we'll put it that way. 6.30 a.m., morning whistle. 6.50, morning count. 6.55, breakfast. 7.20, time for work. Prisoners not assigned to work return to their cells. So the work that they did was laundry, tailor shop, cobbler shop, and gardening. 7.25 after, uh, was the after breakfast count. 9.30 a.m. was a rest period. Men are allowed to smoke, but not be around each other. So you could go take your break, have a cigarette, but you couldn't be near another inmate. 9.38, work again and mid-morning count. 11.30, lunch. 12, lunch over and prisoners return to their cells. They had the noontime count. Now, 12.30, back to work. 2.30, rest period. 2.38, back to work. 4.20, dinner and the dinner count. 4.45, return to cells for the final lockup. 8 p.m. was count in the cells. Now, 9.30, lights out, do a count. 3 a.m., early morning count. 5 a.m., count in cells. So they they pretty much counted all the time to make sure nobody had gotten anywhere. It was like Sesame Street, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> yep. yep. They had the actual count there, and he was like, Vaughn inmate, two inmate, three inmate, ha, ha, ha. He couldn't get over five, but he yeah, did it. He couldn't get more than five. Actually, yeah. I think the count may have only had four. He, you know, he oh, that's funky, true. He'd do funky little hands. He'd, so he'd go he four. Uses, ha, ha, ha. And then start again. <laughs> we'll start back at one. Now, let's look at some of the rules and regulations here. Now, inmates wore the same uniform most of the time, which consisted of a blue shirt, blue and white pants, a belt, and shoes. Now, one thing that I struck me interesting was they were given belts. In a lot of maximum security prisons nowadays, you don't get the belts. Right. So, I mean. For obvious reasons. Yeah, I just. It, it must have been just a, a situation where that that wasn't a as much of a problem. And and truthfully, they didn't look at it the same as we do. now. Sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, the mentality then was if you had a hardened criminal that decided to take his own life, a lot of people just looked at it as like, eh, good. That's one less one we have to feed. Yeah, that's very okay. true. So, that's I mean, that, that was a very callous attitude, but nobody was really thinking about that then. So, yeah, it, it, it is odd to us now that they had belts, probably had shoelaces, too. Yep. Um, yep. But in my thought, you know, of course, the way Alcatraz was was different was that these guys weren't hanging out together in the yard. You know, there wasn't like 200 dudes out standing around where, uh, you know, a shoelace was could have been a weapon. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, you come up behind somebody and, you know, garrot them, you yep. know, like, eh, you know, eh, we just took care of that guy, you know, then, you know, they weren't around one another in nope. order to do that. Even on breaks, they had to stay away from other inmates or they right. they probably got clubbed if they got too close to somebody. Now, they were required to wear this uniform in a certain way. The sleeves had to be kept down and the top button had to be left undone, which I thought interesting. Um, you know, I understand they had to have some semblance of a dress code. That's just kind of how it was. Mm-hmm. But. Just the fact that their sleeves had to be down was interesting to me. I wonder uh, now, yeah, I would. I, the collar, I don't get. I, no, I, I don't. Either. I don't know what. I don't know what that purpose served, other than maybe just somebody wanted them all to look that way. Yeah. The sleeves, I would think they would want the sleeves up because if you had to wear your sleeves down, that would be an easy way to hide a shank. Yep, it would be. It so I, I don't understand the purpose of having your sleeves down. Um, they but, probably just had somebody that said, you know, I like it when people wear their sleeves down. Let, let's make them all exactly keep their sleeves right. down. You know. No. Now, prisoners were allowed to bring some personal possessions from home as long as everything was listed on a property card. And which. That. I don't granted never been to prison. So I don't, I don't know what the rules are in prison, but I'm pretty sure that now you don't get to bring personal items with you. You, anything you have on you at the time of arrest gets taken from you. Yeah. So having personal items, that's different as well. But if you've been to prison, or you are in prison at the time, at the time of listening to this, let us know. Do you get to have personal items? I'm I'm actually genuinely intrigued on if this is <laughs> now, a now, common thing or not. Now we're going to get comments from prisoners who have like the contraband cell phones. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> They're like, actually, I do get to have personal items because I'm listening to you on my Nokia that I snuck in here from. Yeah. Now, prisoners were not allowed to talk loudly or run in the prison. And at the start of Alcatraz as a federal prison, convicts were forced to follow the silence rule where they were not permitted to speak at all. Now, many prisoners considered this their worst punishment, and the silence rule was eventually abandoned. So I know for me, and y'all can probably guess this, being forced not to talk is pretty difficult oh yeah i a lot of times i don't talk you know i i can sit in silence but if you tell me that i can't speak that's exactly when i want to start speaking oh pretty much if you tell me i can't do something that's exactly when i want to do it yeah yeah 100 percent. you're not 100%. allowed to pick your nose oh well, hell now you i got know. a big bat in the cave i <laughs> That was the, that just brought up this, this memory. I was in marching band in high school. And when you're, you know, on the field or you're getting ready to go on the field, you're standing at attention and our band director there, I know I have some uh, people that I went to school with who are listeners of this show. 
Some of them were in the band with me, so they can vouch for this. You're standing at attention. He was, you know, kind of an old school um, marching band guy. We did classic marching band stuff. We didn't get to do the cool newer type marching band stuff. Plus, I'm old and this was a long time ago. But uh, you're standing at attention in the end zone. You can't move. So as soon as I have to stand at attention and I can't move, everything on me starts itching. Yeah. My nose itches. My uh, the back of my neck and now, itches. Now, and now we're talking about it. And now mine's itching. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, your butt and everything starts itching and you can't scratch anything. So you're just hoping you can get to moving so you can start scratching it while you're moving. But yeah, tell me I can't do something and then I have to do it. <laughs> Now, let's kind of look at some of the treatment and punishment of them. Now, one of the most common punishments was solitary confinement, and there were two kinds. Uh, In one, nicknamed the hole, prisoners were locked in a dark cell where they could not move around very well at all. So it was a tiny little cell, and it was dark. They were by themselves. There was a reason it was called the hole. It was basically a little hole in the wall that you got shoved into. And And the cells on this block where the hole was, they, I mean, they were there for punishment. Uh-huh. I mean, this was not, I mean, it wasn't just like, okay, well, you, you got to go to the hole for a, a few days or a week or something. And we're like, yeah, okay, you're just going to move. No, it was, it was rough. And, you know, yep. sometimes they would be kept in the dark mm-hmm. the entire time. And I don't mean like, oh, it's dark. You know, I wish I could see to read. It's like, I can't see my hand in front of my face dark. Yep. Pitch black. Yep. And that, that'll that get to you after a while where you can't move, you can't see anything. But there was another type of solitary confinement, and this was less strict. And it was just where the inmate was locked in a regular cell separated from other prisoners. So not quite as bad. If you weren't acting up quite as much, then you just got this normal, you know, normal cell just away from people where you couldn't talk to them. Now, although guards were prohibited to treat the prisoners harshly, there were times when a guard would beat an inmate. And in one case, a guard turned a guard turned the air conditioning on at night so the prisoners would be extremely cold. All right, let's take a minute and talk about HelloFresh. Now, HelloFresh has been a sponsor of Graveyard Tales for a long time. Mm -hmm. We appreciate it so much. But the reason they've been a sponsor for so long and the reason we enjoy talking about HelloFresh is it's fantastic. It really is, yeah. It's a no-brainer. Once you do it, I promise you're going to be, why haven't I done this sooner? And if, you, if you're new to the show, if you haven't heard about HelloFresh, HelloFresh is a uh, farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredient meal delivery plan that offers seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. It allows you to skip trips to the grocery store and count on you getting fresh ingredients and making your dinner plans easy. Okay, and when I mean easy, I mean really easy oh yeah HelloFresh um, has fit and wholesome recipes so if you're dieting watching what you eat uh, you can still benefit from HelloFresh because sometimes finding those healthy ingredients 
is pretty tough. Oh, yeah. And and expensive. But you can get satisfying and nutritious meals that you can feel good about with six recipes per week to choose from, including low-calorie and carb-conscious options. Warm yourself up from the inside and out with limited-time recipes inspired by cozy classics from around the world. It's still cold in a lot of places. Yeah, Remember it is. that. Yep. You know, we're having a heat wave. Some people are still going, you know, they're they're having to put on their coats to go outside. <laughs> yeah, right. And doesn't it doesn't it sound good to to have something like beef tender beef tenderloin and cheese fondue mm. or miso sesame shrimp and bacon ramen? Oh, I mean, I, I love fondue. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. And HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need to easily customize your order online or in the app. You can easily change your delivery day, your food preferences, your plan size, or skip a week whenever you need to. Like if you're going on vacation and you're like, well, I'm not going to be at home this week, so I can't have HelloFresh sitting on my door till I get back. That's fine. Go on the app. Go online. You can skip that week and no harm, no foul. Pick it up the next week. I, I love the ability to do that. We've done it quite often. And you can customize your favorite dishes with the new Hello Custom offerings by swapping out one protein or side for another, upgrading for a more luxurious experience, or even adding protein to a veggie meal. That means you've got more choices, more variety, and more meals truly tailored to you. And that's good because, like we've always said, our kids love making HelloFresh. Michael always loves getting in there and helping us mix it up. But as you know, with kids, sometimes they don't like certain things. So if you've got a meal that has green beans in it, Michael's going to go, oh, it looks like string the pig. And you're like, okay, <laughs> fine. He'll eat broccoli. So let's change it out for broccoli. And right. it, that way... You don't have to leave something off their plate. You can get something that everybody likes. Or if you, you know, comes with asparagus and you don't like asparagus, then get something else. It makes it great. And we absolutely love HelloFresh. And if you want to join in on the HelloFresh thing, like Matt and I are doing and our families are loving, all you got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard16 and use our code GRAVEYARD16, that's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6, for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That is an absolute incredible offer. And all you got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash GRAVEYARD16 and use our code GRAVEYARD16, G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6, to get up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Yeah, now remember there you know we're we're talking about uh you know a prison out on an island that has no trees or anything. Mm-hmm. So the wind would come off and just blast through this place. And these particular cells were situated. So, th- I mean, they had no, the windows that they had were just open. There was no glass right. or anything like that. So not only were they already freezing because they're getting this 
blast of, of air that's coming in constantly. Now they're turning on the air conditioning to make them even colder. Yep. And I like to sleep cold, but if you can see your breath when you're sleeping, that's a little too cold to sleep comfortably. Yeah. And you yeah. know these prisoners were not given big, heavy blankets or jackets. or any, They were in their thin uniform here that they had to be in and freezing so they did not get good sleep at all so that that to me is a quite a punishment and not even a punishment that's just mistreatment is what that is that's exactly what it is now in several um severe cases a prisoner could be executed in a gas chamber so they did do executions at alcatraz but this makes it sound like that that wasn't like uh their sentence, the way that's the way that's worded. Yeah, yeah. The way they, like if you misbehave enough, we'll kill you. In, yeah, and that that's kind of what I gathered too from it, um, because it it wasn't like here's your ex, uh, execution date or whatever. They they made it sound like, hmm, I don't know. He just ended up in there and the gas turned on. Yeah, you know, it it I, seems a little fishy. Now. There were approximately 30 deaths at the prison. Eight were murdered by other inmates. Five committed suicide and about 15 died of illness, not including at least two that were executed in the gas chamber. So, again, we don't know if those two, if that was their actual execution or, oops, we didn't like him. Whenever we we talk about this stuff, I always think back to, so I married an axe murderer. <laughs> you ever seen that? Yep. When they yep. they go and they take the tour, and he's telling them all those stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Phil Hartman standing there as the as the the former supposedly like a a, a former guard but tour guide. You know. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. That it's kind of what this is, but maybe a little more harsh than yeah. even that. Um, now, there were some escape attempts, and they said there have been 14 separate attempted escapes from Alcatraz, all of which were deemed unsuccessful. Of the 36 men that tried to escape, including two that tried to escape twice, 23 were caught, six were shot and killed, and two drowned in the icy waters of uh, San Francisco. Um, now, two men who were caught were later executed in the gas chamber. And so that's your two deaths there. So I guess that was a sentence for them. They were, yeah, they tried to escape. So they got gassed. Now, five men who were unable to be found were listed as quote missing and presumably drowned. Although it's unlikely that any of them survived. Some people believe that their escape known as the great escape was successful. So let's look at the great escape real quick. Now, Frank Morris, brothers John and Clarence Anglin, and Alan West um, was the mastermind behind the great escape from Alcatraz. Now, using an array of handmade items such as wrenches, hammers, etc., they were able to escape from the prison out into the San Francisco Bay. Now, using paint, human hair, and a homemade cement powder mix, they created flesh-like human heads to conceal for a time at least, that they were gone. Now, so they made these like paper mache mm-hmm. 
heads, put them in their bunks. And so when the guards came by on a head count, they would see that, oh, okay, they're still there. Count them as there. So they weren't found for a while till the next morning. Um, when they went in to check, they didn't get up. So they went in. Oh, crap. They, they're not here. Yep. Now, they used raincoats to make a life raft and broke vents in their cell block to escape. Alan West, one of the men in the plot, was left behind after not being able to break his vent. Although it is unlikely that Frank Morris and the Anglin brothers survived, some historians speculate that they es- the escape was successful and that they lived. And there is a Mythbusters episode where they actually do this. Uh-huh. They, they build the raft the same way, using the same glue and everything that they'd have, same type of raincoats and all that. They actually made it. They tried to escape about the same time that these men would have escaped and using the same equipment, you know, same time of year, same time of day, all that. They actually made it to shore. So there is high likelihood that they did escape and make it. Yeah. And I remember reading that one of the Anglins, they, after, well, after the escape attempt, or, or the actual escape, someone received a letter from one of the Anglin yeah. brothers. Yeah, and you're right. it made it appear that at least he had survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, was also, it also was possible that he had sent a letter well before he escaped, and when it arrived, it just made it look like that he had he had sent a letter after he had gotten to shore. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm of the opinion. I think they did make it. At least one of them made it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure. Cause now, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go run around and go, Hey, I made it. I escaped from Alcatraz. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> you're going That's to just disappear. Not you just, you just publish. Uh, yeah. Hey, look at here. Yeah, exactly. You're going to lay as low as possible at that point. Now, let's quickly look at a few of the most famous inmates that were housed here. Robert Stroud, he was known as the Birdman of Alcatraz. Now, Stroud was sent to jail after murdering a man, and he was sent to Alcatraz after stabbing a fellow inmate and killing a guard. Now, although he was sentenced to death, his mother saved him by pleading to the president. He was known as the Birdman because during his time at Leavenworth Prison, he became interested in canaries. He was allowed to breed birds, and he wrote two books on canaries and their diseases. He spent 16 years in Alcatraz until he was sent to a medical center for federal prisoners where he later died of natural causes. Now, another one. I'm, I'm, this guy is so unknown, you'll probably not know his name at all. Um, Matt and I had no idea who this guy was, but Al Capone. So... <laughs> If Al Capone somehow rings a bell with you, he he was here, and he was sent to jail after participating in one of the most famous mass murders in American history, known as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and that was a crazy massacre. Uh, Maybe that's a Patreon episode, Matt. Yeah. Now, he was sent to Alcatraz because he manipulated the guards to give him luxuries the other's inmates didn't have. He spent four and a half years in Alcatraz before being moved to a different penitentiary. 
Now, he worked many different jobs at Alcatraz and was once stabbed with a pair of scissors by another inmate. He was sent to the medical wing and was released a few days later. Now, George Machine Gun Kelly um, was there as well. And this is not the Machine Gun Kelly that does some weird music nowadays that (laughs) I don't know why anybody likes, but this is where he got his name. Now, Machine Gun is considered to be one of the most famous gangsters of his time. He and his wife, Catherine, kidnapped a famous businessman and held him for ransom at $200,000. A lot of money at the time. Yeah. Now, after splitting the money with some of their accomplices, they evaded police by moving to different states and dyeing their hair to conceal their identity. They were eventually captured and received life sentences. George stayed at Alcatraz until he was moved to Leavenworth Prison, where he later died of a heart attack. So, some famous inmates there, and there's more if you want to go look them up. Yeah, and and it's pretty cool. And as we said, the history of the island is cool, and the the history of the prison is extraordinarily interesting. Um, Not just because of the inmates that were there, but it was so unique. It was so different being out on that island um, that was just devoid of of any kind of vegetation or life or anything yeah. else. I mean, you know, besides the pelican crap all over it, you know, that was pretty much it. You know, yeah, but, right. You know, it, it was it was one of those places where you thought, why why would we ever try to do anything on this island? Mm-hmm. And you know, you you learn that well, they did a lot. You know, it, yeah, it, it was it was useful. Um, but it was useful long before, you know, any of the stuff that even Adam was discussing. Um, it, it was, it was also well known to the native Americans in, in the San Francisco Bay area. They believed that it contained evil spirits. Now these native Americans were called the, the Olon or the, they were, it was a, a Milwaukee Indian word that meant Western people. They used the island as a place for isolation or banishment for members of the tribe who violated tribal law. So even then it was, it was kind of a prison, you know, that that's interesting. Yeah. That even then that was a, a like a banishment yeah. spot. But despite the legends of evil spirits, Alcatraz was also used by Native Americans as an area for food gathering, especially bird eggs and sea life. They weren't, they were, you know, they weren't growing fruit out there. I mean, you know, you, you get some bird eggs, you can catch some fish. Um, but it just goes to show that even then Alcatraz had this mystique about it. Mm-hmm. Now, when the first Spanish explorers, uh, entered the mouth of San Francisco Bay in 1769, there were about 10,000 people that were living in the area, but only a few lived on that rocky island out in the middle of the bay. But they said that there was an eerie light that would emanate from the island. And in their logs, they called it a quote bad place. So there was something about it. I mean, 
the Native Americans felt this way. The Spanish uh, explorers were, were leery of it. Um, and, and even then, you know, they're seeing this strange light that would come off the island. Maybe, maybe guano glows in the dark or something. I don't know. Maybe. Now, some 85 years later. I doubt it, but, you know. I, I don't think so. Radioactive pelicans. Um, you know, they're dropping, hey, there you go. <laughs> dropping some glowing, glowing poop. Ghost pelicans. That's what there it is. Go. It's ghost pelicans. Man, why did you have to ruin it? That was my big finale. <laughs> Dang it. Sorry, man. I'll just cut that out. But it was about 85 years later that the lighthouse that Adam mentioned earlier was constructed on the island. Now, that lighthouse would actually be replaced in 1900. And according to reports, on foggy nights, the old tower will appear as a shrill whistle sounds and a green light flashes slowly around the entire island. And once it makes its circle, it disappears just as quickly as it comes. Now, huh. that was one story I had never heard. Was no, me lighthouse. Now, that's really odd. Yeah. Okay. So if you consider the words of the Spanish explorers, it makes you wonder if the green glow reported from the lighthouse has just always been there. So maybe now it just uses the lighthouse as part of the island. Yeah. And and that makes it that makes it more visible. But that's that's something that we've not ever found in research, you know, something like that that would just the the that light that was reported by explorers, you know, centuries before and it still occurs. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, when the island served as a federal penitentiary, several guards reported really strange experiences, including hearing the sounds of sobbing and moaning, terrible smells, and reports of what they called the thing. Now, mm. the thing was an entity that was said to appear with glowing eyes. And other reports were made of phantom prisoners and soldiers that would appear before the guards and families who lived on the island. I don't know why you'd want to just live there. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a place that would be uh, very habitable. Yeah. I, I mean... Like, you know, might as well just live out in the middle of the desert. <laughs> now, the most terrifying encounter with the thing stems from an inmate who was locked in the hole sometime in the 1940s. He screamed that someone was in there with him right after they put him in. And he cried out and said it had, quote, glowing eyes. Oh, now, wow. Thinking that he was making it up. The guards just left him alone, and eventually he got quiet. The next morning, they found him dead in the cell with strangulation marks around his neck. That's wild. Yeah. Now, the autopsy revealed that the strangulation was not self-inflicted. You know how hard it's got to be to strangle yourself with your bare hands? Well, yeah, I mean, you'd pass out and then not be able to complete it. That's right. Your you, your body, what you, it's hard to do that. It's like you can't tickle yourself. 
Your brain mm-hmm. anticipates the touch, and it, it just it just doesn't work. So well, even if he most, could have done it, yeah, with most strangulations, you lose consciousness from either lack of blood flow or lack of right. air, and right. at that point, then your hands would just release. Yeah, and then you start you breathing. Would, wake back up that's why that game that some kids played in high school where they'd choke themselves out mm-hmm. you know and then they'd wake up yeah it's dangerous because you'd fall and hit your head or something like that but you're not going to actually choke yourself to death that yeah. way you would have to use a belt or something and they would have found that mm-hmm. around his neck so yeah. it had to have been another entity yeah so some say he was strangled by a guard who had gotten tired of listening to him scream. But no guard ever admitted it, even to the other guards. Others believed it was the restless evil spirit of a former inmate who took out his vengeance on just another helpless soul. But to, to even make it more mysterious, the day after the tragedy... Several guards performing a routine lineup of the convicts counted one too many people. And at the Hmm. end of the line, the guards witnessed an extra body, that of the recently deceased convict. Oh, wow. And as everyone looked on in silence, the figure of that ghostly convict vanished into thin air. Holy cow. And now, as cool as this story sounds... I read this story multiple times in different articles. So it's one that carries over. Sometimes we'll find these cool little nuggets of, of information or these, these little stories and you, you won't see them anywhere else. So it almost seems like, okay, well this is, this is more of a legend. Um, maybe not a well-known one. It's not verifiable. Um, or somebody just made it up out of whole cloth. This one you see quite often uh, when you're looking into this. That's wild. Now, the thing wasn't always reported in D block, which is where the hole was. It seemed to roam around the grounds, but it also took different forms. In the dark, its eyes glowed, but in the daytime, it had a completely different look. Inmates, guards, and other sources have spoken of the same thing, a man roaming around the the grounds in 19th century clothing. So during the day when you see it, it's just, it's just like a strange man in, in period clothing. Uh-huh. But at night they would see these glowing eyes and it there's a from- lot, a lot of reports of the glowing eyes and, and witnessing the thing. Just as many reports of this, this apparition of a man in, in 19th century clothing. Yeah. That that's wild. I mean, makes you wonder, is it actually the same entity or is it two totally different ones, but highly possible that it's the exact same one. And you're just seeing it's quote unquote, true form in the dark or something like that. Right. Now, some of the more haunted locations on Alcatraz appear to be the warden's house, the hospital, the laundry room, and the cell block C utility door where convicts Coy, Kretzer, and Hubbard died during their escape attempt in 1946. Now, the most 
haunted area on Alcatraz is the D cell block or the solitary confinement area. Makes sense. Now, most people who visit there report a feeling of sudden intensity that just permeates through the cells and the hallways there. Now, some rangers refuse to go into D cell block by themselves. It is amazingly cold in certain cells, way colder than normal, especially in cell 14D. This cell is often sometimes so cold that wearing a jacket barely helps. Oh, wow. Even though the surrounding area is 20 degrees warmer. So that's wild. It, it just got, that's why this place was called the hole. It, it was, yeah. it was not anywhere you ever wanted to be. Now authors, Richard Weiner and Nancy Osborne visited Alcatraz and they ventured down to solitary with a park ranger. Now Osborne entered cell 14 D and she immediately felt strong vibrations coming from within the walls. Weiner and the ranger followed Osborne, and within seconds, each of them experienced an intense tingling sensation in their hands and arms. They were convinced that something or someone was in there with them. Now, the far corner of the cell where they were standing and feeling this intense energy was the exact spot where the naked, shivering prisoners would huddle night after night in the dark. Mm. And Osborne would later state that she had never felt so much energy before in one spot. Wow. I can see why that area would be that haunted. Yeah. And, and it, and it kind of, this brings up some questions, at least in my mind. When we're talking about prisons, we always mention how that negative energy just leaves a mark. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that fuels the hauntings that, that occur there. But with the fact that this place was always kind of strange and that native Americans, Spanish explorers were leery of it, you know, because of you've got this Island out there that nothing grows. It's just a rock out in the bay and, and lights. There's this weird light. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there must, there must be something evil that, that goes on there. What if they were right? And right, they yeah. built a prison on top of this rock where this energy or entity or whatever called home. Yeah. And, and we've talked about um, like elementals. Right. What it makes me think of is what if this is an ancient uh, demonic thing? Yeah. That banished there or something and then like you said they invaded his his area either his prison he was banished to this you know desolate island surrounded by water and so they invaded so obviously he's going to start screwing with them or yeah. something but yeah i i'd I, I like your theory on that what if something always there and they invaded its space yeah and and maybe that is what caused Alcatraz to be as as bad a place as it was. Yep. That, that it it had really not much to do with the with the evil men that were housed there. You know, this was this was something that was always there. 
maybe that entity or whatever affected the men that were there and made it worse, made them worse when they got there. Yeah. You know, they said there was a bunch of murders and stuff. What we've talked about entities that take, take over and, and force you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. What if you're predisposed to that stuff anyway? Yeah. And then you're affected by this ancient entity and then you just go berserk and start killing other inmates. Yeah, it just supercharges it. Yep, yep. Now, well-known ghost hunter Richard Sennett and 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 a psychic spent the night on Alcatraz as part of a KGO radio promotion. Now, they chose, of course, Al Capone's cell as sure. a place of temporary refuge. Why? <laughs> other than to just say you did. I, I don't yeah. really, that would seem like, let's not go to there. Let's, there's better places we could hang out tonight. Yeah, I'm going to hang out in the most comfortable spot, not Al Capone's <laughs> spot. Um, yeah, where's the warden's office? Let's go there. Yeah, exactly. I bet there's a couch in there. Yep. Now, according to Senate, emotions seem to drip from every corner of Alcatraz as the night progressed. So that, that's a direct quote from this article. He and the psychic visited the spots where rangers said they had heard marching footsteps and clanking metal. But, unfortunately for them, nothing happened. So, finally, Senate decided he was going to lock himself in to cell 12D. Dummy. Where an evil and persistent ghost is rumored to dwell. As the thick steel door was closed... Senate said he immediately felt icy fingers on his neck and his hair stood up on end. And he said he knew then he was not alone. That's what you get. (laughs) That's right. You know, you're just tempting fate at this point. Yeah, exactly. Additionally, the psychic with him picked up on twisted and dismembered bodies of uniformed men. Both left the island convinced that Alcatraz had its own special energy, which again, that they're confirming kind of what Adam and I were thinking, you know, there's, there's something already there, you Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's, it's not the prison didn't cause it. The prison was just there with it. Yep. Yep. Maybe amplified it, bringing all that negative energy from the prisoners. Oh yeah. It just fed this entity. Now, the first warden of Alcatraz was a man by the name of James Johnston. And one thing about Johnston, he didn't believe in ghosts. Now, that could have changed one day when he was leading a group of guests on a tour. As Johnston was telling the guest about the intricacies of the prison, all of a sudden he stopped and the entire group heard the unmistakable sound of a woman crying. Now, in all of our stories we've told tonight and the history we've covered, there's no women involved. Yep. There ain't no ladies on that island. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't a co-ed prison. Okay. And chances are they didn't have female guards um, Mm -hmm. at that point. Certainly not at a men's prison. No. The crying seemed to be coming from the walls. And as... The sobs rose in volume. A cold wind swept through the room. Not one guest went any further. And Johnston could never explain why they heard what they heard. 
Yep. Now, the burned-out shell of the warden's house has been kind of a hot spot for sightings since the 1940s. During a Christmas party, several guards witnessed an apparition of a man wearing a gray suit, brimmed cap, and mutton-chop sideburns. That's a very specific description. Yep, it is. Okay? You don't really hear a lot about the hairstyle of, of an apparition. Sometimes you do, especially with the women. But this guy, they said, had mutton chop sideburns. And when the men saw this this apparition, the room got deathly cold. And the fire in the wood-burning stove was extinguished. Huh. Now, after, they say, less than a minute, the apparition vanished. So, I mean, that'll, that'll get your attention. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, like you you touched on, to be able to see something clear enough to see the mutton chop sideburns is pretty incredible. Yeah. Now, when the prison was still open, other guards reported hearing phantom cannon and gunshots hmm. accompanied by screams that were so real, they would usually cause the guards to hit the deck. Because... They believe that maybe the prisoners had somehow escaped and gotten weapons. Yeah. Now, after taking cover, the guards would then start to look around and they would see nothing. And, and these incidents never could be explained. Huh? It's those howitzers I mentioned. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost of the howitzers. Yeah. You got to remember when, when Adam was talking about the history of the Island, it was a defense post. Mm-hmm. You know, so cannon fire and things like that would have been common, but not while it operated as a prison. Now, another reported experience for the guards was the smell of smoke that often came from a deserted laundry room as if something was on fire. When they would go to investigate, the black smoke was so thick it would drive the guards out of the room. However, within just a few minutes, the room would become completely smoke-free. That's wild. Yeah. But again, that that really seems to play more towards this entity that resided on the island. Yeah. We've heard about the smell of smoke. Right. But never the smell of smoke. And then you see a bunch of black smoke that quickly clears out. Right. Yeah. We've never talked about that in any episode that we've had. Uh-uh. That's that's unique. Yep. Now, co-author of the book Haunted Alcatraz, Michael Corey, also had described receiving psychic impressions when he visited cell 14D. He says he first felt a tingling sensation, you know, which we heard about before. He said it began in his fingertips, then a very intense feeling of cold just engulfed him. Now, in a slight trance, he began to communicate with the spirit of a man he describes as being small of stature, had his head shaved, and was left in the hole. The spirit, who, according to Corey, was in obvious pain, and in quotes it says, told a horrifying tale of being beaten with his legs broken by guards and left in solitary confinement. He had squealed on a fellow inmate and stated that the year was 1939. Hmm. 
So I, I say told in quotes because you know that these 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 psychic uh, connections are are not like having a conversation. Yeah, you know, you like just pictures flash yeah, or feelings or pictures, and you get kind of emotions and things like that. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt. So let's take a second and talk about Feels CBD. Now, Feels is a better way to feel better. They have premium CBD that will keep your head clear and help you feel your best because CBD has been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And navigating the world of CBD can be complicated, but at Feels, they look to make the process as simple as possible so you can start feeling better sooner. And if you're new to CBD, they offer a hotline which will help you go through the discovery process. And I know for me, Matt, that's pretty important because Uh there's so many different kinds of CBD. There's so many different strengths of CBD. And when you first get into it, you have no idea. And you may take something, you know, one of the milligrams of CBD that's too weak and then it doesn't do anything. And you think, oh, well, CBD doesn't work. Right. But if you got the hotline like they they have, you can call them up, tell them, you know, what what your deal is, and they can help you pick the right CBD strength for you. And they have those little trial pack things like a flight. I think you and I called them a flight of CBD, <laughs> uh, like yeah. a flight of beer, because uh, they have the, the multiple different strengths that you can get and try. So you can figure out which one works best for you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I deal with pain all the time mm-hmm. um, and I know you do too and when we got the the feels uh, packages you know I, I honestly have to say I was a little skeptical I've tried a lot of different CBD brands and I thought okay I'm going to give this one a shot um, we'll see if it does anything and the first thing I noticed is that you, you felt it mm-hmm. you, you immediately felt a difference within minutes of taking it you know you just drop her under the tongue and i just it's like this is this is crazy you know I, i'm new I'm already feeling yeah i'm already feeling the effects of it something i'd never experienced with cbd before right and at the at that time i was i was really struggling with some ankle pain it, it was just lingering on and i I couldn't I couldn't shake it. I mean it was making it hard to work. It was making it incredibly painful to walk. And by the end of the day, I realized, hey, I'm not limping mm-hmm. anymore. I'm I'm walking regular. My my ankle is not hurting and I feel good. Yep. And the only thing I did any different that day was took feels. Right. It's great. So you just place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you like I said, you feel the difference in minutes. Mm-hmm. And the thing to remember, as Adam said, is you got to find your right dose. That's why the free CBD hotline for feels is so awesome. Because they're going to guide you and direct you to know how much you need to take and at what strength for your problem. And joining the feels monthly membership makes your self-care so easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. So Graveyard Tales listeners can start feeling better with Feels. You can become a member today by going to feels.com. That's F-E-A-L-S 
Grave.com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E, and you'll get 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's right. Become a member today. All you got to do is go to feels.com, F-E-A-L-S.com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E, and you can become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order and you get free shipping. Feels.com slash grave. Now, during a, a visit in 1992 by the show Sightings, several of the Park Service staff confor- confirmed all of the, uh, the haunted historical reports uh, around Alcatraz. Many rangers had experienced unexplainable crashing sounds, cell doors mysteriously closing, unearthly screams, and intense feelings of being watched. Now, in 2014, a British couple named Sheila Sillery Walsh and Paul Rice from Birmingham, England, snapped a picture of a ghost while taking a guided audio tour. Sillery Walsh was taking pictures with her iPhone and just casually took one of a door. Uh, Don't be Sillery. (laughs) When she went back and looked at the picture she had just taken, the photograph revealed a ghostly woman. Huh. Now, uh, Sillery Walsh was quoted as saying, I have no logical explanation for the girl in the picture. I'm baffled by her. It's funny because she's staring right at the camera with a knowing look. Again, again, there, there's no reports of women being <laughs> in Alcatraz. That's exactly what I was going to say. Why is there another female in a male prison. Yeah. So it that's that's really strange. You know, maybe it's from early the Native Americans that were sent out there for punishment. Yeah. Maybe there's a, a lady that got sent out there and she died or I don't know. That's that's weird. Yeah. Really strange. It doesn't fit. But, you know, how how could we discuss Alcatraz without mentioning, again, the most famous resident, Al Capone? We could. We'd just suck if we didn't. <laughs> now, Al Capone went to Alcatraz in 1934, but he brought his influence with him. He was able to manipulate guards and obtain special favors, like having a radio, um, a mm. carpeted cell floor. And most notably, being permitted to use his one hour of free time to play his banjo in the shower. Now, I would that, I would imagine that was because the acoustics. He wasn't standing there, soap in one hand, banjo in the other. <laughs> I don't know, man. I've known some banjo players, and they're into some weird stuff. So that that may have been his thing, you know. But I looked into this about. I was like, Al Capone played the banjo. Okay. Um. But what I found out was that he was such a target that they couldn't let him be around anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So he was isolated the entire time other than being around guards. And because going out, you know, outside would leave him kind of open for an attack. 
This well, is, he did get stabbed once. Yeah. So. so, you know, this is what he was able to work out with the guards is to let him go into the shower and play his banjo. Let me go pick my hillbilly guitar in here. and uh, Yeah. But I, I think you, you guys know where this is going. Nearly a century later, many, many sources have reported hearing banjo music coming from the shower. I'm kind of like, it's a prison shower and we're hearing banjo music? Uh-oh. Yeah, right. <laughs> See, I thought you were going to say, you know where we're going. Playing the banjo was a euphemism. <laughs> and I was like, really, Matt? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Then I can see banjo in one hand, soap in the other. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Sorry, it's late, guys. It's that's late. where the yeah. jokes, that's where they go when it's late. <laughs> now, let's see. Where the heck was I? <laughs> now, um, but one of the people who have reportedly heard the music was Ranger Lori Bron- uh, Brosnan. Um, who said that visitors also report a code, a code, a, it is late. I can't even talk anymore. A code, uh, a cold chill in that, in that room. Brosnan also reported that at times when every door in Alcatraz has been locked up for the night, and she was the only one with the keys. Doors were heard slamming and whispers lingered down the halls. Jeez. So that would freak you out, man. Yeah. So like we said at the top of the show, this is not like your your typical haunted prison that Adam and I have talked about before. It's it's very different. And I I really think that there is something there has been something there this this whole time. Uh-huh. And and Adam's yep. right. You know, you you start introducing these hardened criminals, they bring their bizarre evil energy with them and it's just like hey we're we're fixing to put the pedal to the metal on this and yep. it just drives it even harder adding wood to a fire yeah and and even potentially with the guards you know they it wasn't like you know the guards were just these happy-go-lucky you know high-fiving inmates as they walked by on their multiple counts during the day Oh, I mean, these people were treated horribly. Um, it's like the, the, the thing I've said before, you know, some people believed that um, they that these uh, prisoners didn't go to prison as punishment. They went to prison for punishment. Right, you know? right. So you know, it was your prison sentence wasn't just your punishment. It was whatever the heck they were going to do to you when you were there. Mm-hmm. But these experiences that people have had at Alcatraz and, you know, all the way from, you know, the, the former uh, guards that worked out there, uh, park rangers uh, who were responsible for the tours and the, and the upkeep of the old prison, um, you know, visitors who have gone there, there have been so many just crazy experiences out there. Uh, yep. it, it really does give some credence to the fact that uh, there was something already there. 
and I think so. You're just yeah. experiencing now um, what the energy has allowed to persist um, as far as these these hauntings, um, these apparitions, and and even the the green glow that spins around in the lighthouse on foggy nights. Yep, just an accumulation of energy over the years. Yeah, but like I said, we knew a a good bit about. Alcatraz and the fact that it was haunted, we didn't really know how in-depth the history was and how strange and unique these hauntings were. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty um, pretty incredible. I, yeah, it really is. I, I, I loved researching this. I know Adam did because he's such a history fanatic. Um, but yeah, it, was, it was so different that it, it really made it enjoyable and learning about um, the conditions there and how things were run and how it developed into, you know, probably by name, one of the most famous prisons of all time. Yep. And I, I think the most interesting thing to me is the possibility that that little rock had some entity already on it, that it, it's possible that there was an ancient evil on this island, banished to the island or stuck on the island in one way or another, called it home for whatever reason. Yeah. And then we invaded its space. Right. And it said, well, okay, I'm going to have fun with you. Yeah. And it said, welcome to the rock. <laughs> exactly. So what do you guys think? Um, or y'all one of the or have you been one of the fortunate ones that got to take the tour um and had some experience um do you live in the San Francisco Bay Area do you know some other stories about Alcatraz if so let us know and the best place for that is in our Facebook group we have people sharing uh personal experiences every day um sometimes we get theories of why something is the way it is it's just incredible. It's a fantastic group. If you're not already a member, go get in there because it's it's the best it's the best group on Facebook. Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. Um, and while you're doing that, you can slide over to our website. It is graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And later tonight, Adam and I are gonna be uh, adding even more content uh, mm-hmm. to our Patreon page. Um, you get um, bonus episodes that aren't necessarily like the regular episodes. They're a little shorter. Sometimes they're about just off topics that we want to talk about. Um, they're, it's a little looser. It's more casual. We have a lot of fun with it. Um, so it's just our way to say thank you for the people who have donated to the show and help support uh, our efforts. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, as Adam mentioned at the top of the show. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.
selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. <laughs> 